Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. On this episode of On the Mark with Mark Carmen, we've got Katie Ledecky going for more gold. Ashley Young went to Bristol, Tennessee and is now a NASCAR expert. And Ethan Blumenthal loves the Little League World Series. NFL insider Matt Verderam, what in the world is going on with Antonio Brown? On the Mark with Mark Carmen starts right now. We started the show with an incredible experience. Ashley Young, who I think you're getting to know and finding the incredible talents each week is just scintillating. Uh, she was down in Bristol, Tennessee this week at a NASCAR event. Now, before we go any further, I want to give my NASCAR credentials. I was once a vendor at the Joliet Speedway. I battled my way. I put on the earplugs. I walked up and down on the metal bleachers. It was 7,000 degrees. It was an absolutely miserable experience that I did for about $300 in, I don't know, four hours of work that I would give back that money today. Eh, maybe I wouldn't, but it was not fun. I have been to the Indy 500. That was a sweet play. Got to ride in a test car. I think fans cited for that. I got to meet I Justine, who was there. She's an internet sensation. You should check her out. Um, and so that was an experience that I actually was really thrilled to do. Now, I didn't get to go to the race because I left earlier. You, on the other hand, were in Bristol, Tennessee all weekend long, living the NASCAR lifestyle. You have made it back. You look no worse for wear, although very casual on a Monday. I think you need a workout and some rest. Uh, good to see you, first of all. Great to be back, Mark. I'm well, so happy to be back in <laughs> Chicago. Do you, do you feel like you went to another country? I do. And I think the key part of this story, for people that don't know me, I, I'm not a nature person and the whole part of this weekend is uh jasmine another uh she's a writer here at fansided and i we were in a tent like yeah, straight up tent that's it like we are not campers so in addition to being out of my element at a nascar event my first one we were staying in a tent right but hold on a second you were in a tent at a race a racetrack you were like in the woods i don't know if i can even call this camping don't they call it glamping okay so when Let's fast. Let's rewind here. Let's. How did we get here? Like, sure. Let's do the little narrator it, rewind. It, explain away. So we got an email about going glamping at a NASCAR event. And I was, you know, 
hopeful. Let me try something new, a new experience. Get right? out, of, get out of your comfort out zone. Your that's comfort that's beautiful. Zone. That's beautiful. Yes, I'm trying. You've inspired me, and it was pitched as a glamping event. Okay, well, when I hear glamping, I think air conditioning or I think like a trailer. We were in a tent and it was 95 degrees and we're in this glamp ground right outside the venue. So hold on a second. 95 degrees at, say, 3 in the morning? I mean, were you able to so sleep? At I, night- I, 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 I'm sensing a little victimhood here. Okay. <laughs> perhaps I'm still a little, a little dehydrated from sweating so much. But I would say from 7 a.m. to midnight, you could not be in that tent because mm. it was so hot. It was like an oven. Okay, that's brutal. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm starting to feel your pain here. Yes. Okay, so what did you... You got there on Friday. You left on Sunday. You were there for, what, 48 hours? 48 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 48 hours. Yeah, it was a quick uh, little turnaround. We flew into Bristol, Tennessee on one of the smaller planes. And watching your videos, you looked happy getting off the plane. You had your American floppy hat on. I did. I was trying to play the part. I had some like reflective sunglasses, an American flag bucket hat. But, you know, sometimes the captain will come on and say, hey, you know, we're expecting turbulence. Please remain seated. I don't know whose first day it was on that plane, but they said we're delaying snack services. And I quote, because it's going to be a rough one. And then just clicked the mic. Ooh, that's a terrible. <laughs> now that's a terrible feeling. And it was when Jasmine and I looked at each other and we were just kind of like, do they pay us enough for this? Like, why are we here? Um, and it just kind of continued to be one of those surreal experiences for the rest of the weekend how bumpy was that flight i was a little we were both a little nauseous by the end a little motion sickness so it was really that bad yeah and it wasn't so much that it was dropping it was like a lot of small like like bumps it it was a smaller plane correct so we kind of expected that but it wasn't great how many people were on the flight like 20 20 maybe yeah and and this flight was from where oh and i was next to the bathroom this is the only time I've ever seen anybody go from Chicago to Tennessee, which well, is about an eight-hour no, drive. No, no, and you we took... went to Chicago to Atlanta to Bristol, Tennessee. So you had to go down to get back up. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, I like the Atlanta airport, though. It's a very large airport, many concessions. Mm-hmm. You should have had a drink there, although that probably was... We had about 25 minutes, so right. we power walked. You know, we hopped on the tram, power walked. Okay, so, okay, all right. Nice. So, Whatever, that's not the important no, part. No, this is... I just want to get the whole thing. You had a, br- <laughs> you had a brutal flight in. You, Next to the toilet. I just want to emphasize, I sat down and my seatmate was the toilet. Okay, all right. Well, at least you had close action if you needed to get in there mm-hmm. so now you're now you're in tennessee they yeah. pick you up in a limo um no they picked us up and two other attendees so uh-huh. i sat in the back seat of a car a smaller car with jasmine to my left i took the middle seat i was trying to be a homie and a woman that we met 30 seconds prior next to me and oh. three grown adults cannot fit in the back seat of a car i don't care what anyone says so we, you- me- oh. <laughs> we became fast friends and you're driving through like the mountains. It was beautiful. Bristol is beautiful. Okay. All right. So we got some beautiful scenery in, in, in tight quarters in a car. Yes. Um, we were in the car with a blogger. Okay. Her name was Kim and Kim's best friend. Kim Thomas. Love Kim Thomas. Super sweet. Really fun. Lifestyle blogger, photographer, beauty enthusiast, lover of pretty things. There Again, don't know what she was doing at this event, but <laughs> <I have> no- <laughs> <laughs> we were in it together. This is fascinating. Okay, so you're in a, you're in a, you're in a cab with Kim Thomas. At this point, we're just 
we're in it, I mean, and the she, guy from M and M's is driving us, and we're just kind of like, all right, we there's no turning back at this point, Mark. Like we're we're in the car and we're driving in the mountains. We have no idea where we are. We have no cell service, and then you start to see the RVs. So Chicago's pretty flat. We're in the city. It's full of people and noises and sounds. I mean, we're just looking out at grass and blue skies and mountains and like the occasional house. Are you excited at this point or are you terrified? I think I was shell-shocked. So like no emotions, just kind of trying to process, but like 10 steps behind. And then you start to see the RVs and then you start to see the coolers and the jorts and the reflective sunglasses. And you're like, oh, we're getting closer. And people, it's just like on these mountains, it's rows and rows and rows of RVs uh-huh. and people day drinking. And I was like, oh, okay, this looks like fun. We could get behind this. But we weren't staying with them. We were in the parking lot with like 40 tents lined up and they showed us to our tent and we're kind of like, all right, enjoy. (laughs) Jasmine and I were like, um, what are we doing? Like, what are we supposed to do? Where you can't like, it's not like you're going to take a nap. It's Mm -mm. hot. Right. Okay. So I'm a big fan of the, uh, drop your bag, quick hotel nap. Yeah. You know, then you wake up, you shower and you go about your day. Well, you're in a tent that's, it's 95 degrees outside it, I would equate it to sitting in a parked car. That's how hot it was inside the tent. Uh-huh. And so we couldn't stay in the tent, but also you're in the middle of nowhere. So your options are to like go walk around the parking lot and see like the tailgating going on or to sit in the tent. Like we had no options. I'm going to end the podcast right here because I don't know where to go because this just sounds miserable. I, honestly, <laughs> I, I need to be more I positive. I, I would have. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm getting into it. I think I would have had a heart attack. I would have. <laughs> I would have. I would have Ubered home. OK, so we did say several times because for what it's worth, like Jasmine's a writer. I I don't know what I am. I do a, a little bit of everything here. You know, Richard, who usually does the camera work, wasn't there to do the camera. Mark usually does our on-camera stuff. He wasn't there. So That's you have me. these two, like, substitutes trying to navigate an event that they have no knowledge of. And the number of times we said Mark would never have made it, we would have, like, afforded Oh, dinner. no, no. Hold on a second. I just, although Mm-mm. I did just say I would have Ubered home. You would have Ubered home. I, I, I think I would have made it but i would have the looks on my face would i i would have do you like bugs how do you feel about bugs i'm not totally anti-bug but how do you feel about spiders in the tent ants in your bed ants were in the bed jasmine got bit yeah there were like these monstrous red ants and she got bit okay that's tough and i would not have felt good about that okay so we we quit and that's you know they say when you travel with people you see a different side of them yeah um what's this what side of jasmine did you see so jasmine's like real tough like we're kind of like a yin and a yang combo i would say right and so she's usually i think like the tougher one and maybe i'm the more gentle spirit of the two of us there was a spider in there and she jumped on top of her bed and i went over and i had to kill the spider (laughs) so (laughs) and um you know it's like when something's in your tent and i'm there's no locks on the tent let, let's do let's do this because I, I I get it. This was a miserable thing. I know. Ask me a better question. Yeah. Here, here's 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 what was the best part Ooh, of the week? Okay. So again, I started by saying I'm not a camper. It's not my thing. But it was an incredible experience to have the access that we did to the race. 
Uh, NASCAR is unlike any sporting event I've ever been to. I mean, we've we've been to the Super Bowl. I've been to professional sporting events. The sheer size of this stadium, it's the third largest sporting venue in the country. Uh-huh. I saw the, yeah, I saw the pictures. The stands were immense and Incredible. seemingly never going to end, right? And I guess a typical racetrack, forgive me if you actually know the number, I think it's like a mile and a half around the track. Sh- sure, mile and a half sounds where good. Where Bristol is only half a mile. Oh. So the, they equated it to trying to fly a jet in like a gymnasium. So, you know, usually they have, you know, more time to adjust as they're taking the turns. It's louder, it's faster, it's more aggressive, and I guess it's a really challenging track to drive on. So this was the best part. It, best part. It, it so we're in the stands. It's an incredible to be a part of that. Everyone is so friendly, uh, chatty, running up to the camera, doing interviews with us. Over-friendly. I've watched the videos. I think every guy on there wanted to get to know you in a personal way. Uh, yeah, and that's just what we got on. It, it was an event for <laughs> for sure. Yeah, You got a boyfriend? Yeah. Um, it was a treat, but it was incredible. And then we had access. We were down. Um, not only did they let us go from the stands to like the center of the track, mm-hmm. uh, we were watching, and the cars are whipping by. It's blowing your hair like off your face. Then we went up in the pit box, and we're sitting behind Kyle Bush's wife. Wow. And that was another surreal moment, kind of like, what are we doing here? Like People would kill for this opportunity. And to see, um, I guess I didn't realize how much, like, data work went into driving a car i just thought you know you kind of hit the gas hit the gas and, and turn, go baby. right but i mean there's people up in that pit booth they're like tracking your speeds your path they have everyone else's speeds and a bunch of numbers i didn't understand and it's kyle bush's wife his three like tech guys and then me and jasmine sitting behind them yeah uh well that sounds it was incredible i was really grateful for that experience and um it's just the tent. But I, I knew going into that. That's that's not my thing. That's right. not my thing. But you learned, you 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 digested, you have mm-hmm. more knowledge, mm-hmm. you can speak on something that you probably couldn't have spoke on as as, as brilliantly as you're doing right now. So overall it wasn't um a glamorous experience, but you learned something. You made it through. Mm-hmm. I think you became stronger in the process. And I think I lost ten pounds. So lost ten pounds. Out. Let's check it down. Let's mark it down as a win. Big oh, d- it was a big win. No, really incredible opportunity. Um, I never thought I would be a fan of NASCAR, and it was it was something. Okay, I'm gonna segue to one thing before you get okay. on out of here. I think you're gonna really enjoy this, Uh-oh. even though it's a creepy story. Did you hear about the fugitive? who was found in Wisconsin after three years on the run. No. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you a story here because it seems to somehow fit into what you experienced this weekend. All right. right? Here we go. All right. Here we go. All right. So there was a Wisconsin fugitive. Okay. He was sleeping in a homemade bunker. All right. This is now this was August the 9th, which was eight days ago, roughly. Okay. Make that 10 days ago. Whatever. It was earlier this month. Okay, he had been on the run from the law for three years. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable. Um, we'll get to why he was on the run in a second. But so there was a walker, a hiker rather, and he's in the woods, and he's on the Ice Age National Scenic Trail in Ringel, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on that. I have not. I'm assuming you haven't either. After my, what I just shared with you, does it sound like something I would participate in? Right. So this is a remote trail. So this dude, this hiker's walking along. And he sees this bunker, and he's like, what the hell is that? 
So he decides to open up the door to the bunker, which, right, no chance. No way. But nope. th- this dude opens up the door, and inside he sees this guy who's sleeping, and he's on a cot, and he's got tools around him, and he's got canned food, and he's like, what the hell is He definitely that? has a gun, too. Well, I'm sure I'm sure he does, whatever else. So he calls 911, all right? And so they go, and they find Jeremiah Button. 44 years old, had disappeared in 2016. He was supposed to stand trial. This is where it gets uncomfortable. Sexual assault of a young girl, okay? So he was going to go to prison, and he's like, you know what? I'm not going to prison. I'm going to the bunker. And so this dude, this is how he does it. Just so just, I don't want to give a pathway for people like this, but this is kind of amazing. He, he, he's going to prison, all right? He decides that I'm not going to prison. So he chooses a spot in a wooded area close to the Marathon County landfill. So he's like, that's where I'm going to get my food. I'm going to make it to the landfill. And he'd go there, get food, get whatever he would find, canned food, leftover bananas, whatever he was finding, right? Bananas. Right. (laughs) So his hideout is near the Ice Age Trail, 1,000 miles, 1,000 miles. A footpath in the that no one's going on. They call it a rustic trail, right? Uh, just no, he's not going to see anyone. No one goes here. And so he digs out this bunker. He lines the wall with cardboard and tarps. He makes a roof out of tarps and logs. He starts bringing in supplies one backpack at a time to not, you know, whatever, draw any attention to himself from the one person he may run into. Like, what the hell are you doing out here? He bought half a pallet of canned food, and he brought a TV. He brought a TV into the woods, okay? And so when he decides that he's actually going to go disappear, he leaves his car, his wallet, his ID at his mom's house in Richfield, Wisconsin. He leaves a note that says he's moving to Florida. And then he takes a train to Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and he covers himself in coal. By the way, for the podcast, Ashley's just looking at me with a disgusting look on her face. <laughs> he covers himself in coal, where apparently coal workers are take this train. And he, so he tries to blend in so to avoid detection. He gets off in Wausau, Wisconsin, which is a fascinating town where you can go skiing. I've actually been there. The Rib Mountain Inn is up there. But so he gets off in Wausau. And he, he walks two days to the bunker. So just trying to, you know, to, no scent of me anywhere here. So over the years, he's able to ride a bike to the landfill. He collects food, clothes, tools, electronics, all this. Now, he's all by himself for three years, right? Wait, yeah, that's a long time. Right? Doesn't your brain just start to kind of mush if you don't stimulate I, it? I, I would think so, right? So he's got he's he's got a TV antenna attached to a tree so he can now he's got a system of 8 solar panels from he he's got he's taking it from new for his car batteries and whatever else he's finding in the landfill to power the TV, other electronics, lights, fans, all that. And when he needed electricity, he would pedal a bike to a homemade generator, this guy. The guy's, this guy's a genius. He's kind of like a green, going green, right? Like this, we need environmental help. We should ask this guy. Uh, in winter, he kept warm by lighting a fire in his Dakota-style fire pit. I don't know what that is. Me either. But he had a. T- it was complete with a tin cam chimney that piped the smoke <laughs> out of the bunker. So he'd have the fire going. 
he got a chimney that's taking the smoke out. He built his own well for drinking water. He dug a hole in this wet area of the woods and lining it with sand and charcoal, and he'd boil the water before drinking it. And then he was growing marijuana out in the woods. He's got it all. He's got it all. He's got a pound of weed he's making every year. Um, and apart from the occasional hunter, he said he saw no one. So the police get to the bunker. Initially, he won't come out. And then when he finally did, he told him, I'm a wanted man. And then remarked, quote, it was nice to talk to some human beings. He was actually borderline happy to see the cops and like you almost just felt I sorry. I almost for said aw, and I was like, Ashley, get it together. Right, but that's get how I together. felt. Like, like, like you know, you just you're a human being. Like we, we whatever. All right, how long is he going to jail for though? Let's be forever. Real. Forever. For, I mean, I don't know forever, but he's going to jail for a long time. I mean, he's been on the run for three years. He's a he's a child. I mean, he's a he's but like uh, statistically the way our courts, our no, justice right. system works. He probably could have like been done his jail time in three years if he'd gotten any well right I, I i suppose like was all this worth it was it really worth it now you're you were on the run you were evading the police i i, I don't know and, and you and have the, drugs you're growing drugs and you're you, and you're you're living in fear every day that every you're day gonna get, that you're gonna get caught i'm sure what's your purpose I'm yeah su- i'm sure the new no- right well uh rather than owning up and you know, hey man, um, I did terrible things. I have a huge problem. I, I'm willing to get whatever help I can possibly get to try to become better whenever I get out of here, and maybe I can contribute back and talk to people that, you know, had the same sick urges that I had. Whatever, right. it, whatever it would be to make, you know, to contribute back to, and make yourself better from this day going forward, which is all you can ever do in life, right? Uh, you know, he went into hiding. Did they talk to his mom? I, I, I don't have any quotes from the mother. I'm hung up on that. He left her a note saying he was moving to Florida. Well, she probably knew damn well that he was in some bunker somewhere. Mm. Trust me, my son, I know him. He's not in Florida. He up there in, in Ridgeway, Wisconsin. I'll, I'll bet you I can find him if you find me the most remote place where there's a landfill. I know my son. He's a complete punk. <laughs> I mean... Just taking a flyer here. And, Not an actual quote from his mother. Right. I don't know if the, how that ties into... Uh, I'm. You lost me at a certain point. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. But I think it goes back to my being a little naive, perhaps, uh, to how uh, diverse the United States is. I, I'm a city person. I stay close to the coast. I stay close to the cities. Um, and the fact that this person can live somewhere where you don't see a soul for three years... Pretty amazing. It's wild to me. Yeah, I, I, that scares me. If there's not like a grocery store in two miles, I'm, I'm like too far off the path. So uh, yeah, this weekend I would say it, it opened my eyes to um, different living situations and um, where people call home and access. Right. Yeah, right. access. So right. well, some know, people, clearly it works for them. But. You can walk out the door and go to the grocery store, the Walgreens, the cheeseburger place, and uh, the sushi place all within 10 seconds, from, 10 where seconds. We, from where we are right now. Uh, this dude could not have done that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, well, good job. Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. You're coming next time. I, 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 would l- I think for the content, uh, let us know if you would like to see Mark sleep in a tent in 100-degree weather in the mountains for 48 hours. Can't wait to do it. I'll see you next time. Ashley, we'll uh, we'll get you back to normal next week on the potty. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mark. Time now for my guy Ethan Blumenthal. We're going to talk a little Williamsport, PA, Little League World Series. But first, uh, Ashley was traveling around and had some difficulties. You look worse for wear. 
It was. It's been a long weekend. I flew down to Philadelphia Wednesday evening. I was delayed six hours. We got on three different planes. Okay, and um, you know uh, the person sitting next to me. We were on a different wavelength. Um, so you know, explain. We, so we were, we're on. I'm on this plane, plane number one. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's what I call it. And so uh, we're on plane number one, and she starts talking to me, a nice, you know, elder, you know, me and her in her 60s or so, I'd say. And she was, you were ta- having a nice conversation. And then a few points, you know, she brings up, uh, she brings up God, okay? And she says she was, she was giving her, uh, her daughter was going to school at Purdue, and she was, like, helping her pack, and she was like, you know, God will protect her. And I was like, okay, you know, that's, that's cool. And then, uh, <laughs> so then we get onto plane, so then they would get us off the plane because they didn't have a light bulb or something like that. That's what they told us. I don't know what that means if that was, like, you whatever. It so was the get, internal conductor transformer? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, <clears throat> it was the left phalange, actually, if, uh, if uh, anyone, uh, we have friends, fans listening out there. Uh, Okay, And so then we get on plane number two, and of course I'm sitting next to the same person, and we start talking, and then she asks me the question, you know, where do you go to church? And, you know, I didn't have the heart to tell her at the time that I was Jewish. Um, I didn't know where that would have led the conversation, but, you know, then she started telling me that, you know, that she's, you know, found found God, and that it's really great for her, and that, you know, she's going to go home and pray for me so that I can find, you know, Jesus um, in my life. And I didn't, you know, I have the heart to tell her that, you know, I could invite her to my Passover Seder. Like how are we, how are we supposed to, how are you supposed to finagle that situation? So, okay, let me jump in here. If I may, you can take care of you right there and honor you, Ethan Blumenthal. Sure. And say, say, actually I'm Jewish. I haven't been to synagogue in 10 years. I'm guessing. Well, that's not true. That's not okay. true. Okay. Yeah. I, I go to synagogue on the high holidays only. No. Sure, whatever. Well, yeah, no, yeah. I need to know now. Well, what do we got? Yeah, yeah, I go, you know, a couple, yeah, you go throughout the year, you know, a little bit, a couple of times, high holidays, other, yeah, I go, I go here and there. You're going to, you're telling me that you show up on a random Saturday, I don't buy it. Is um, that true? Not a lot of random Saturdays, but, but, but it will happen. It's occasionally, yeah. So, so if you feel it, you'll be like, you know what, I'm going to go today. Sure. Yeah. Where will you go? Um, you know, this if, is one if, I would give, if I were to go, I would be going with my, my parents' synagogue, yeah. Okay, yeah. so your parents are fairly religious. A little bit more, yeah. Okay, so I've got, I've got some. My parents are actually fairly religious. I go once in a while with them. Is that a must do on Yom Kippur? Like, there's no... oh, f- for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Rush Shani, yeah, you're yeah, there yeah. for sure, for sure. Oh, right, yeah. okay, okay, all, all, all day long. Yeah. You, you got your own, uh, you got your own talis situation. Absolutely, going? Absolutely, man. Oh, yeah, okay, it's bar okay. mitzvah, of course. Bar mitzvah know? on what day? Uh, my the date of my bar mitzvah? Yeah, September uh, sixth, nineteen eighty six. Right here, pal. Wow, what, what do you I, got, man? I don't know. I think it was like April sixth. Yeah, that doesn't count. Day, now, 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 everything you just said five? prior to this point is now in question that you don't know your bar mitzvah okay. date. For the <laughs> okay, all right. I, I didn't know that that was such a big deal. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, no, it's it's, right. it's probably not. But yeah. uh, but you right. know, these, are my, these, these are these well, are either my, way. The, the woman you, that I was speaking with, she has no idea about any of this. That's really the point here. Yeah, I, I'm kind of mad at you that you didn't uh, that you didn't you know stamp your Judaism. You know, I just didn't know. You know, first of all. I've been on two planes now already, and we were about to get called off to kicked out of the second plane and get on a third plane, um, which is ridiculous. So here's what happens. We're on the second plane, and then the pilots, we get everyone settled in. You know, we're like, okay, we're now we're going, and then the pilots time out. 
You know, so like they can't be going for long enough because we were already delayed so much on the that first whole, one. That whole timeout thing is such BS. But what I don't understand is why did they have us get on the second plane? Like they could tell time. They knew that these guys were going to time out in 20 minutes and that <laughs> takes at least 20 minutes for everyone to get on the damn plane. And so then they're like, oh, now we're all here. Oh, and then we get up. So we have to get off the plane again. And then we have to wait like three more hours for a new crew to fly. In. You know that I, I feel you on that. It's like the and st- I had all that time to think about whether I was going to tell this woman that I was Jewish or not. Right. And, and you and you just wimped it flat I, out. I which, did. I uh, did. And, and for the record i've wimped it too but i'm trying to build a better ethan blumenthal no, and mark that. Yeah. and mark carmen right now yeah. own who you are yeah uh, it's the same thing by the way what you're saying not on this on the level of annoyance but the person that gets in the starbucks line right sure you're in line you're mm-hmm. five deep you're four deep you're three deep you yeah. get up there this now how many people get up there not sure what they want that's kind of annoying but what's really annoying to me it's 392 then they got to go reach in the pocket, open up the wallet, find the credit card. Mm. Dude, did you think you weren't going to have to pay? Do you see these people behind <laughs> you? See your future, be your future, have the card out there ready to rock and roll, and let's point. go. That's a good point. This, this, is, this, is not, uh, this is not something that's new. You get in the line. When you get to the end of the line, you make your order. You're going to have to pay. Yeah. So I think we can be better in that, in that scenario, myself yeah. included occasionally. See your future, be your future. Uh, all right, Little League World Series. Let's lighten it up here, damn it. Absolutely. Um, did you like the, the jerseys that they were wearing? Jerseys were absolutely awesome. Yeah. Don't, you, know, don't you think it's a little just too cute when they call them cubbies? Uh, like, it's just like the level of bull. It's a Little League World Series. You know, it's a bunch of 12-year-olds out there, you know, trying the, to play baseball. The cubbies. We're lovable losers. We've never won anything except for 2016. The Cubbies. Sounds no? like it sounds like a, an upset Sox fan here who's jealous of uh, of the love. I see, but that's not accurate at all. I mean, I, I I appreciate what they do on the north side all day long. I just don't like when they call them the Cubbies. They're the Cubs. Get enough with the cute stuff. Get, get, but the, but the jerseys themselves though were pretty sweet though. I'll give you that. They were. I mean, they were sweet. It was cool. Uh, and that the whole the whole situation was awesome. Anthony Rizzo was mic'd up. Yeah, that was a really cool part. And he said a bunch of bunch of hilarious things, which is just makes you kind of love the fact that these are just at the end of the day they're just people who are happen to be really good at baseball, but they're just people hanging out and they're just joking around in the dugout, just like I used to joke out in the dugout when I was playing. See, apparently I'm just angry man today. But the Rizzo thing, he was fairly funny. Mm-hmm. Like I'd give him you know three star movie. Kind of fun. I mean, let's not. He wasn't Big stars like stars. Is pretty good. Decent, I mean, decent, you know, decent flick. There's a lot of bad movies out there. Right. Yeah, de- yeah. De- decent yeah. flick. I, I, you know, he was good, right. but it wasn't like you know. Not I wasn't falling over, but he was fun. And then I just think about the Anthony Rizzo that he presents to the media and how bottled up he is, and he doesn't allow this personality to come out. It's like, dude, can you can you just give us a just a, a little bit more for for the for the people out there? Make yourself a little bit more enjoyable. Well, here's here's a question, and I don't even I don't want to put this out in the world, but I just feel like I need to for the podcast. Yeah. Do you think that Rizzo being mic'd up changed the way he was on the field talking to people that he knew he was, obviously knows he's mic'd up? I think it definitely had an impact. You, you, you're trying. You're marketing yourself right there, right? I mean, I, I do. I think I agree a little bit. Obviously, you know, you have you have the mic on, but I think that you know he's having a good time. <clears throat> I, I do give him credit. That's like, him. You can't just completely, you know, fabricate that personality. He, he could. They could have come to him and said, "Hey, will you be mic'd up?" And he and he would say no. Right. He allowed it, and then he 
you know, stepped into being his best Rizzo. That's right. all cool. Yeah. And the Little League World Series and seeing the kids in the stands and doing the imitation of Craig Kimbrell, uh, the Cubs closer, right, right, when, they, right. when they were doing the, do you see that, where they, you know, Kim, sure, yeah. Kimbrell does this weird thing with his arms before he pitches, and the kids were getting up and doing the same weird thing, which is kind of taunting him. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that, that all that was all that was super cool. Like these kids getting to sit in the front row, and then Chris Archer, the Pirates, is sitting right next to him. And here comes you, Darvish, to sign autographs. A lot of uh, Asian kids were were all over you, and yeah. I'm sure Team uh, Japan, yeah. Right, yeah, right. So it was it was it was awesome. It was cool. And Rizzo, in one of his sound bites that they had on there, he brought up kind of an age old debate that I, I've often had with my friends, and I'm sure a lot of people out there have. Uh, he says to one of his teammates, and I actually don't know who it was because. They, you know, they all had their nicknames on the back, and I was like, I don't know what that nickname was. Um, but he, the question is, is a hot dog a sandwich? And which is a great question, I think, in the dugout. Baseball's a long game; you gotta gotta have some interesting topics of conversation to get to keep it going, you know, the whole time. Sure. But uh, what do you think, Corm? Is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, I personally think there's a separation factor there. A hot dog is a hot dog. It, you know, a turkey sandwich, a tuna salad sandwich, an egg salad sandwich, hot dog. To me, is Own a hot category. Dog. Yes, hundred so, percent. Well, what makes a sandwich a sandwich? What so okay? Um, what makes a sandwich a sandwich is uh, there is a. And a be, be be careful with your words here because yeah, I just, no, I, 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 there's a lot of ways. As soon as you bring something up, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw another I, thing I, at you. I, I'm gonna say that what makes a sandwich a sandwich mm-hmm. is if it uses the word sandwich in the situation. You never wow. hear hot dog sandwich. Okay. You want to make an argument that it's a chicken sandwich? I'm down. Hamburger, hamburger. Not a hamburger sandwich. Whoa, a hamburger is not a sandwich? No, it's a hamburger. A, you, if I'm getting a sandwich, I'm getting it at a deli, most likely. Okay. Okay. Okay, hold on. What wait, was a sub? A sub sandwich? Sub sandwich. Sub sandwich. Sub okay. sandwich. Uh, says sandwich. What is what about what about a sloppy joe? Not a sandwich, sloppy joe. What are you talking about? Sloppy joe's not a sandwich? Sloppy joe. This is absurd. I guys, we're All right, what about what about an open-faced like tuna melt? That's a sandwich. It's a sandwich. T- tuna melt sandwich. Tuna melt sandwich. Yeah. But you're just adding sandwich to the word sloppy but joe but, sandwich. But it fits. Hamburger sandwich. Sloppy joe. No one's ever said sloppy joe sandwich. No one's ever said that. Never happened once. That's. Until this podcast. You know, this right- is the hottest take I've ever heard on this debate before because this it never goes there. I think a lot of people are going with like the, it's got to be two buns, two, you know, bread with some sort of something in the middle. And you're just kind of going in this whole other direction. I kind of like it a little bit. It's an interesting <laughs> take. It's an interesting take. Um, so then if a sloppy joe isn't a sandwich, then what is it? It's a sloppy joe. It's just what it is. A hot dog is a what hot about, dog. What about a bagel? A bagel. You can have a bagel sandwich. Right. You know, you put, you start, yeah. but a bagel by itself is a bagel. But yeah. you start throwing some tuna salad on there with lettuce yeah. and tomato. Now you got a, you know, you a tuna salad sandwich on okay. a bagel. What about just cream cheese? That's a bagel and cream cheese, not a sandwich. <laughs> All right. All right. Carmen, this is a bold, this is a hot take. Uh, I, I like your take. I like your take, and I'm gonna I'm gonna spread that out. Next time I have this conversation, I'm gonna bring up your theory. I, I actually feel like you're disappointed in me right now. But no, you're no, no, just letting it slide. No, no, no. I, I, I appreciate I appreciate the take. It's just not what I was expecting. You oh, okay, say. okay, yeah. okay. Um, All right, but uh, yeah. Ethan. Yeah, it's really good to see it's you. It's been a pleasure as always. And next week. Are we not going to be together uh, at the We're, U.S. Open? Oh, are we? I think so. I mean, when I'm you, going. You're going. When are you touching down? Well, I think I'm going to be there Tuesday and or Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are we going over to see the Mets too? Mets and Cubs. Oh, okay, Mets Cubs. Yeah, uh, that's my hope. That's my hope. Okay. What days are they playing? They're Tuesday. Both tu- days, right? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I believe. Yeah. All right, so I'll see. I want to see you at the U.S. Open Club. It's thirty bucks. Okay. But it's a 
like elaborate buffet with fillets and shrimps and whatnot. It, okay. I'm telling you, you just, you just don't eat all day, and okay. that's your one meal. And and, and we'll do the podcast. What time? What, what time are you gonna be there? Uh, I think like probably. Let's go for like two thirty. Two thirty. You can't do it early, and okay. you got You got It's got to be dinner too. So it's like a late lunch into dinner. Two thirty or three okay. might be even better. All right. All right. Well, uh, I have your. I have your number. We'll, we'll make it happen. Three o'clock. U.S. Open right. Club. Uh, See you there. Love the Little League World Series. Ethan Blumenthal. Bringing in my guy, Matt Verderam, NFL insider, fan sided. Nobody knows more about football than Matt Verderam. I want to talk about Antonio Brown. Let me just get this off my chest for him, then I'll get your take here. There is a huge cost in life for people who never somehow don't figure out that they're not special, that have had their ass kicked, kissed for life, and they don't think the rules apply to them. Antonio Brown wasn't quite that right central Michigan. He wasn't, you know, Johnny Ohio State. But he still obviously has had that fanny padded for a long, long time. And he's gotten to the point now where clearly he doesn't think the rules apply to him and he can hold out over a helmet and he can, he can, and he can take cryotherapy and blame other people and miss training camp and cause a huge distraction. I said on video last week that I thought that the Raiders should cut him. Uh, you're not winning this year. It was a, I mean, I know they want to think they are, but their reality is they're not. I would actually... Other options. Anybody want Antonio Brown? We'll take a seventh round pick back. I, you, anybody want him? You can. You can have. Him. Maybe somebody would step up and do it. You know what? We'll eat the third and fifth. It was our mistake. People make mistakes. Something along those lines. The other thing they could do is, and I was reading this, uh, you know, from Mike Florio's piece in Pro Football Talk. They could. What, hang on a second here. They they could basically try to uh, uh, find the guy. And say that he kind of kind of detrimental to the team, sure. moved to suspend him, so you're not paying him. Uh, I I don't know what you uh, what you would do at this point for him, but this is this is insanity out in out in Oakland. Yeah, look, I wrote about this in my stacking the box column that goes up every Monday morning on Fansided. The reality of it is, they're not going to be able to move him. No team is going to touch him with a ten foot pole. He's just radioactive at this point, as great as he is, and that really should tell you all you need to know about the situation. He is arguably the greatest receiver going right now. And nobody would touch him for anything, any kind of pick, any kind of money. The Raiders sealed their own fate with this when they packed $30 million into his current contract because he's due $15 million against the cap this year. If they cut him, the Raiders are on the hook for $30 million against the cap this year. Mark Davis is probably the most cash-poor owner in the NFL. So to take that kind of hit for nothing is going to be really tough to sell to him, especially as they're getting ready to move to Las Vegas. The reality of the situation is and Peter King laid this out in his uh, terrific column every Monday morning over on NBC Sports, they can send him a five-day letter which says, you've got five days to show up. You don't show up. You don't report. You cannot play in the NFL this season for us or any other team. So you're protecting yourself from him going somewhere else, some way, somehow, and playing against you. You also then do not have to pay him. Now, the NFLPA might file a grievance and go berserk over that, but they'd have a tough argument because he's not showing up. You're not show up you, you don't show up to work. You got a you got a tough sell that you deserve to be paid. And he's nowhere to be found. So I think at this point, look, that's where the Raiders are with him. And it doesn't seem as though this is gonna go away. And even if it does, is this gonna be the last problem with him? 
Probably not. I mean, there's a reason the Steelers said third and a fifth? Yeah, sure. Go right ahead. He was on one of the easiest contracts to deal with in football, and the Steelers gave him away for a third and fifth round pick. 24 days in Napa, which is where the Raiders train. He's taking a hot air balloon ride at dawn uh, to report, which is pretty damn bizarre. He participated in one pre-practice walkthrough on July the 28th, was limited uh, before leaving on the 30th, took a pregame warm-up in Arizona last Thursday, and then was a full participant Saturday morning in the walkthrough and then doesn't show up on Sunday. Right. Oh, it's, it's completely out of control. And for Mike Mayock to call reporters over and say what he said about, hey, we got 89 guys busting their ass and, and you know, we, right. and we're in a position right. where he's, he's got to be all in or all out. For a GM to do that, that is going nuclear in the NFL. To go public with that a week after John Gruden following their first preseason game that Antonio Brown obviously didn't play in, John Gruden supported him. So look, we're behind Antonio Brown. We understand what's going on. For them to switch their stance that quickly and that publicly and that purposefully, it wasn't like Mayock got caught off guard of the question and just teed off. I mean, he, he went out there with a statement, and the team tweeted that out. So this was obviously a coordinator. Look, this is how we feel. This is what's going on. Then Drew Rosenhaus, Brown's agent, comes out and says, we're on the same page. No, you're not. You're not, anywhere, you're not even the same book no, right now. Drew Rosenhaus, part of the problem, kissing his ass, which is what a lot of agents do. Uh, Drew Rosenhaus needs some truth serum for himself. Hey, Antonio, it's $30 million that is Dude, on the line for you. It is your reputation. Yeah. It is your manliness. It is all of it. Right? How do you want to be remembered? Legacy, all of it. He... Drew, if you're really his agent and truly his advocate, you, sometimes you got to tell people the harsh, hard truths here, man. I don't care what helmet you're going to wear. You're going to wear one of the 30 that are licensed, and you're going to get out there and shut the F up. It's a, it's a helmet. I'm guessing he had a different helmet from when he played Pop Warner to, to JV to high school to sure. college. to pro. And he's known for a year that right. they were going to grandfather this helmet out. This isn't like something that happened to him yesterday. This idea that he was blindsided by it. Tom Brady is moving on from the same helmet. I believe Aaron Rodgers is as well. I, it, this is nonsense. And by the way, to me, to spin this whole thing forward, okay, he will probably at some point come back and shut up and get on the field. Now, he'll, he'll I'm sure, find something else to complain about in a week or two weeks. But he's not going to give up $30 million, in my opinion, over this helmet situation. You wouldn't think. And look, just a couple more things here. Yeah. I, I get that the same rules don't apply to the superstar right. that apply to the last guy on the bench. I get that. That's professional sports. That's in your office culture as well. The superstar who's bringing in huge money and is the top sales guy, yeah, he gets more vacation. Yeah, he makes more money. Yeah, he can take a longer lunch. You know why? Because he, he produces to that level. It's more important. And it, it, So I, I get all that. But there's also, there is a part of being a part of the team. And it is completely counterproductive, detrimental to have somebody who's new to an organization who has no credibility in that locker room 100%. to come in and, and pull what this guy's pulling. And, dude, you're, you're just not that special. You haven't earned your keep here. And so I, I don't know why I'm so charged up about no. it, but it's just, it's just it's, dis, it's disgusting what he's doing. Carm, I couldn't agree more. You said exactly what I was going to say, which is, look, yeah, all this stuff, it may be long forgotten by the time week one comes around nationally. 
it's not going to be forgotten in that locker room. These guys have been busting ass for a month trying to make this team, trying to make this team better, and he is nowhere to be found. Not because he's hurt. Guys get when you're hurt. Look, that happens. It's pro sports. You tweak a hammy, whatever. You got to take care of yourself. This isn't because he's hurt. This is because he's throwing a hissy fit that he can't wear a helmet. And as you mentioned, I think you hit the nail on the head with one point in, in particular. It's not as though he had all those great years in Oakland. He had him in Pittsburgh. So everyone in that organization, in the Raiders organization, is saying, what, what are you doing? Derek Carr doesn't care about what you did for nine years in Pittsburgh. Mike Mack doesn't care. John Gruden doesn't care. You have no clout in that room. Guys recognize you're a great player, but guys are also sitting there in their stalls in, in Napa going, you got to be kidding me. This guy's going to show up six days before the season, and he's going to get first-team reps, and he's going to get all these targets. And we, meanwhile, right. we've all been busting hump and now we're going to take a back seat to this clown because he can't put on a helmet. And then you got the that's head- going to cause a lot of problems in that in that room. I agree. And then you got the head coach sitting up there at a press conference kissing his ass. So, you Not know, a good luck. Going no. to piss off a lot of veterans on that team. Right. Right. And you're trying to build a culture. I mean, you're hey, here to agree. It, it, the whole if, the whole thing is uh, if is, you're is, if is you're off. forget even Carr because normally you'd say the quarterback, but look, he's had a rough go of it. Like a guy like a Rodney Hudson who's been there for years, who's a very good player. You think Rodney Hudson right now is feeling good about Antonio Brown? I don't think so. You think, like, there are other, other guys on that team who have been trying to get this program rolling. This isn't a team that's a player away from the Super Bowl. They've stunk. And so now like they have all these young players that have a very big draft class. Obviously, they got some picks for Khalil Mack and Mark Cooper. And these kids are all looking at him and say, thinking to themselves, one of two things, either, wow, this is dysfunctional, or, well, I guess I'm a star. That's how I get to act. Neither one is a good thing if you're the Raiders. Right. And, and lastly, as we wrap up here, as I talked about the, the privilege of the top sales guy or whoever, yep. you know, that, that, that great, the best sales guy in that situation actually isn't taking the long lunch and is in there grinding and setting an example. Uh, but we're, I'm not, you don't even have to do that, Antonio. Just do your job. Just do your job, which he's not doing. Varam, good to see you, my friend. Thanks a lot for having me, man. Stacking the Box uh, is Matt, Matt's podcast. You should check it out. And uh, it's available just where you found this one as well. When does Stacking the Box come out every Monday? Wednesday? Podcast comes out uh, every Monday and during the season. One will come out every Monday and every uh, Wednesday. And the column is up every Monday morning, 6 a.m. Eastern on fanside.com. Stacking the Box, check it out. Matt Verderham, good to see you. Thanks a lot, man. She grew up in Maryland. She went to Stone Ridge High School of the Sacred Heart. She's one of the fiercest competitors. Katie Ledecky, Olympic champion with us here. Uh, Katie, you know, I've, I've watched your story for a long time now, and I'm just curious as you, as you look ahead to 2020 and even just to later today and tomorrow, I know you're training super hard. Where does the motivation c- continue to come from for you? My motivation comes from trying to be the best that I can be and trying to improve in all, all different aspects of my life and especially in in my swimming everything that I'm doing in and out of the water is making an impact on on how I'm competing and how I'm how I'm doing so just having fun with it all and uh, continuing to try to look for new ways to improve so do you have to trick yourself motivation wise like hey like try to create like new challenges I've heard like from elite athletes who will say stuff like that they'll they'll try to look for slights to get themselves going is does that ring true for you 
I don't think I have to trick myself in any way. I think I can see that there's a lot of fast swimming going, going on around the world, and I know that uh, a lot of swimmers are, are trying to beat me, and they have big goals, and this is a big year for, for everyone, 2020. So uh, I, have, I have no trouble uh, finding the motivation and getting to work out every day with a smile on my face with some really great teammates and coaches that are going to push me towards my goals. How much has your training changed, Katie, over the years? Because uh, I know that a lot of swimmers, you're in the pool, but you do a lot out of the pool as well. Well, I, I train 10 times a week in the water for just under two hours each workout, and then three times uh, a week out of the water doing weight training, dry land training on top of that. So it's, it's what I've been doing for as long as I can remember. I think, you know, as, as I grew up, I kind of added more practices over the years. Certainly I wasn't swimming 10 times a week when I was 10 years old, uh, but it's, it's something where I've kind of gradually increased the amount of training, how hard I'm training, and kind of at its peak right now, I guess. Yeah, so people say that you quote-unquote swim like a guy. Do you, do you hear that as a compliment? Yeah, I, I, I take that as a compliment. I think uh, actually a, a number of the swimmers that have, have said that about me have actually said that in reference to my stroke and how, how I swim. It's kind of unique uh, and different and kind of more like the guys than what most female swimmers and, and female freestylers have uh, been doing over the years. And I think uh, a lot of that is why I've, I've found the success that I've had is I'm uh, swimming a really, with a really aggressive stroke uh, with, with my pull and my kick. And uh, so, yeah, I take that as a compliment. And I try to give the, the guys a, a run for their money whenever I, I get to train with them. Well, you do that a lot, though, don't you? you I mean, at least when you were younger. I don't know if you still do. Yeah, I, I've trained with a lot of, a lot of guys through the years. Uh, not as many right now because I'm, I'm training mainly with the Stanford women's swim team, but I, I still do have a couple practices a week where I, I get the opportunity to train with a couple guys, and uh, it, it's always good for me to, to have that kind of competition, but I also have some really great female swimmers that I'm, I'm training with these days that uh, really push me and motivate me. Are you a celebrity on campus? What would you say? Uh, I guess maybe slightly, but you know, at Stanford, everyone is kind of treated equally. Nobody really uh, gets starstruck or anything. There are so many people doing some really amazing things in all different fields, whether it's athletics or research or, um, or other extracurricular kind of activities. Uh, there, there are some really amazing people that I've had the opportunity to meet, and whenever somebody comes up to me and, and wants to meet me, it's always fun for me to meet them and, and get to know them as well. Yeah. Are, do you still do uh, a lot of visualization? I, I, I know I watched one video with you. You said you were actually trying to visualize yourself losing and you were unable to do that. Yeah, that was uh, before my race in, in London at my first Olympics, my first, first gold medal. I have talked about how I, I was trying to visualize my race before... Uh, before the finals, I was having trouble falling asleep, and I just I couldn't visualize myself winning anything but gold, which for me was was pretty crazy at the time, given that it was my first Olympics, my first international race. I think it's a great strategy if you can implement it. I just don't know how many people do it. 
15-time world champion, five-time U.S. Olympic gold medalist, and uh, you're coming out of the FINA World Aquatic Championships. But you're, uh, you're working on your recovery here, Katie, and I, apparently that has something to do with chocolate milk. I love chocolate milk. I want to drink it every day, but I sort of am still trying to figure out this really is good for me and this works. Can you explain? Yeah, so I've been drinking chocolate milk since I was a young teen, and it's something that I've been drinking after workouts and after races. It really has a lot of benefits when it comes to recovery, and uh, there's a lot of science that, that supports that, uh, that it, it really has the perfect ratio of carbs and, and protein. And on top of that, of course, it tastes good, but it also has the electrolytes naturally and the, just the fluid that you need to recover and replenish your body as you're getting ready for your next race. I'm racing you know, a, a lot over the course of a week when I'm at a world championships or an Olympic games, and I have to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can to prepare myself for the next race once I complete one race. Yeah, let's wrap up with Michael Phelps. Have you spoken to him at all recently? I know that you looked up to him as a kid, and now you're sort of becoming the Michael Phelps on the women's side of swimming. Do you guys communicate? Yeah, he actually uh, text me, texted me a couple weeks ago when I was at uh, World Championships, just um, a, a text of support and uh, wishing me well. And we, we stay in touch, uh, and I get to see him from time to time. He still uh, kind of sticks around the sport, at least follows swimming uh, a little bit now that he's out of the water and has a couple kids. Uh, it's, it's been really great to follow what he's been able to do out of the water now that he's uh, retired and, and enjoying that life. Do you tell him that you're trying to top him? No, you know, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm just focused on my own goals. Uh, people can say whatever they want, but uh, I'm, I'm just focused on my own goals and, and what I'm trying to accomplish and doesn't really have much to do with a medal count or uh, anything that Michael's ever done. I, you know, what he's done in our sport is incredible, and I have so much respect for him and what he's done to change the sport and, and bring exposure to the sport and really kind of lead a, a wave of, of young swimmers like me that looked up to him when, when we were younger, and now we're the ones on that stage at the Olympics, at the World Championships that are, um, you know, swimming fast and, and representing our country. It makes a ton of sense. Last one, what's your number one driver right now then? My number one driver is myself. Uh, I, I have big goals for myself, as I said, and it's really important for me to do everything in and out of the water to prepare myself. And so I'm, I'm motivated internally and uh, I'm, I'm focused on getting back into training and uh, really working hard uh, over this next year. Katie, thanks for talking today. We love watching you. Continued success to you. Thank you. My final thoughts are around Bill Walton. If you missed it over the weekend, he joined the White Sox TV crew. Steve Stone was on vacation, and Walton sat in with Jason Benetti. Now, I don't know if Bill Walton's ever done a baseball game before, and I don't know if he'll ever do one again, but I hope that he does. 
entertainment and baseball is a good thing, even if it is an older gentleman, as baseball does try to get younger with its fan base. The baseball game, I can watch it on television. And having a guy come in there with a little bit of a name and a tie-dye shirt and being incredibly entertaining, if not on point to BABIP and ISO and whatever other baseball statistic you want to talk to all the way down to RBIs is worth it for me. I mean, the guy is going crazy on foul balls. This is good for baseball. This is good for TV. And Jason Benetti, give that guy a ton of credit. He is so versatile. And whoever sits next to him, he lifts them up and makes them even better. But I heard a lot of people complaining, why the hell is Bill Walton on here? i got to turn it up. Bill Walton on a basketball broadcast is great. Bill Walton on a baseball broadcast is great. If I could hire Bill Walton to wake up in my room as an alarm clock, I would do it. Good morning, McCurman. Get on up and get after your day. I'm Bill Walton. Be your best. Walton should sell that. Positive people, having them in your life, on your TV, around you in whatever way is a good thing. Thank you to Bill Walton for being on the White Sox broadcast. On the Mark comes out every Monday afternoon. Subscribe, rate, tell a friend. Appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.